0: Good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It's a windy one out there. you got to hold on to your hat and everything else. Uh, wind's gusting 40, 50 miles an hour here in the state of Connecticut. Uh, Massachusetts got it pretty bad out in the Cape. Uh, there were some reports of winds uh, close to 100 miles an hour, so uh uh, a, a blustery one this morning. The rain is gone, but uh, the wind remains. Uh, you know, I was just listening to the, uh, the news report about farmers and uh, more access to broadband, et cetera, et cetera. I'll tell you what, um, it's not just farmers. Where my wife and I are moving to in North Carolina, we're moving to the mountains of western North Carolina. We're moving to a very rural area. Uh, there's less than 1,000 people in the town that we're moving to. And um, fiber optic uh, Internet does not exist out there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, The best I can do uh, right now (laughs) uh, is like DSL, uh, Frontier, which is the worst. Never heard anybody say anything good about Frontier. Uh, So they're out there. But get this, um, there's only like a limited amount of capacity that they have, and it's full. So even if I wanted to get it, I got to get on a waiting list to get it. It's insane. Um, There is a uh, uh, some kind of a it's not satellite per se, but it's some kind of other satellite ish thing where it bounces off of towers. And uh, it's actually faster than uh, the DSL. Uh, So we're going to try that out. Elon Musk's uh, Skylink satellite service is supposed to be available in that area sometime in the middle of next year. So I'll probably end up with that. But you know, I tell you what; it was one of the things when we looked into moving down there. I was concerned about. It. I mean, trying to keep this radio station going uh, in an area where there's no uh, high speed internet, going to be a challenge. But we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I mean, uh, worst case scenario, I, I'll hotspot it with my phone. But we'll figure it out. Uh, but anyway, it's, so it, it is real. You know, and it's funny. One of the uh, new, uh, one of the commissioners, actually the acting chair of the FCC right now, is from Connecticut. And one of her primary things is she wants to bring uh, high-speed broadband internet to underserved areas. Well, and there's a lot of them. And it's not just the rural areas. I mean, we have parts of our inner cities where, uh, you know, lower-income people don't have access to it. And in this day and age, folks, you can't live without it. I mean, everything is done online. People, you know, you go to a doctor's office now. You know, I had my, an eye appointment last week, and uh, – all my forms like were to be filled out online. You know, they sent you everything in the mail and you fill it all out. It's crazy. You know, you can't do it you don't I mean now you, you, you register you re-register your car online. Pretty soon you're going to be able to do your driver's licenses online. It's nuts. Um so you know, if you don't have access to the internet, it's very difficult. So uh yeah, I, you know, you don't think about farmers with the with the internet, but so much machinery and And uh, so many things are run now, uh, you know, on cloud-based things and everything. If you don't have it, you're really behind the eight ball. So uh, one other thing before we get to the World Series from last night, the uh, FDA panel uh, yesterday uh, uh, recommended the use of vaccinations for kids 5 to 11. It was uh, unanimous, 17 to nothing, one abstention. Uh, Now, the FDA doesn't have to follow that panel's advice. They're going to make their own decision in a couple of days. But, you know, if if it was 17 nothing and it's their own panel, they're going to go along with it. And then the CDC will have to sign off as well. Uh, But it looks like we are very close to having vaccinations for the young kids. Uh, Pfizer did a study with about 2,300 kids, age 5 to 11. They got two shots uh, three weeks apart of either a placebo or the kid's dose of the vaccine, And it showed that the levels of the antibodies were just as strong as teens and young adults who got the full strength shots. So it works. Um, They said the study isn't large enough to detect any extremely rare side effects, such as the myocarditis, the heart inflammation. Uh, But, you know, uh, that generally occurs after the second dose and the number of, you know, it's very rare. It happens, but it's very rare. So we're getting close, and it's just going to give parents one more thing to, uh, you know, bitch about. In some cases, a lot of parents want it. I mean, my realtor has a daughter that's uh, 10 years old or 11 years old, and, you know, she can't wait to get the vaccine for her, you know, because she's wearing it. She's a realtor, so she has to go around with the general public. So she she's wearing a mask all the time because she doesn't want to run the risk with her daughter unvaccinated in the house. So she's looking forward to, you know, being able to do this. There's a lot of folks I know that are doing the same thing. But the funny part is all the people that uh, most of the people that are unmask our kids are probably going to be the same people. that are going say, oh, no, my kid's not getting the vaccine. So and, yeah. the rocket scientists of the United States of America, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Let's get to the World Series from last night. Um, well, uh, number one, the Braves win. The Braves win. The Braves are America's team. I said this yesterday. Everybody, unless you live in Houston, hates the Astros because of the cheating scandal. You know, and my wife, you know, it's funny. Barb made a comment to me the other day, you know, when we were talking about this. And she said, when are you going to get over it? You know, the fact that they cheated. When when are you going to get past that? And and I thought about it. And, you know, she has a point. I'll tell you when I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get over it when all the guys that cheated, that got away with it, that didn't get suspended when, and, and had an arrogant attitude about it. I'll get over it when all those guys are no longer on the Houston Astros. That's when I'll get over it. But as long as guys like Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve and several other guys are there, I'm going to still be pissed off about it. Hey, look, my manager, the manager of the Boston Red Sox, was the bench coach for the, uh, for the Houston Astros and was involved in this whole thing. He got suspended. The general manager lost his job. The head coach, uh, the manager, lost his job. He just you know, he, he had a year off, and he went back and is now managing the Detroit Tigers. But that's when I'll get over it, when all those guys are gone. You know, George Springer is no longer on the, the, the Houston Astros. It doesn't forgive what they did. But when they're not there anymore, I'll, I'll have a different attitude about the franchise in general but what still rankles me and probably will forever is the fact that these guys cheated and they got away with it and nobody got suspended because the players association in major league baseball is so powerful that Rob Manfred and the the higher ups were scared to death to go after the people that were actually doing the cheating and they were actually benefiting from the cheating. So I'm not going to get over it for a while. So while I'm not an Atlanta Braves fan, in this case I am. And I am, I almost never, Root for a National League team if the Red Sox aren't in it. I'm an American League guy, by and large, so I root for the American League team, unless it's the Yankees. I root for the American League team. Now it's the Yankees and the Houston Astros. So I hope I hope the Braves sweep. I don't think they will, but I hope they sweep. Uh, and, again, one of the things I love about baseball, just when you think you have seen it all, you haven't. Well, what did we see new last night? For the first time in World Series history, somebody began a World Series with a home run. Jorge Soler on the third pitch of the game in game one of this World Series hit one out. First time that's ever happened in a World Series. We've been playing the World Series since, you know, 1900 or 1905. And the, the first time it's ever happened, you know it's amazing. I mean, you just it's 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 one of the greatest things about the game. But the story of last night, despite the Braves six two win, and by the way, it wasn't that close. That this game was never in doubt. It was three nothing early, then a, an Adam Duvall two run home run, um, made it five nothing. You know this game was never in doubt. But the story of the game last night no ifs, ands, or buts about it, is Atlanta Braves starter Charlie Morton. Now, Charlie did not get the win. But why didn't he get the win? Well, because he broke his leg, ladies and gentlemen. He took a shot back to the mound a comebacker that was hit 104 miles an hour. That's, that's not insignificant. 104 miles an hour off the bat of Yuri Guriel. it deflected off his left shin, went all the way over to first base and uh, it was one of those things where uh, Charlie Morton said to uh, to his catcher Travis Darno that one stung a little bit. Oh what do you think? So after that happens, he retires the next two batters, goes to the dugout after the second inning. All's well. Well, not all as well. He's still hurting. He comes back out to start the third inning and he strikes out Jose Altuve. And then right after that, he had he put his hand up uh, and uh, you know, you could tell he was when he came down that he was in a lot of pain. And he motioned to the dugout that he needed help. They had to come get him and help him off the field. They take an x-ray And they find out that he had fractured the fibula in his leg. So after that happened, he threw 16 more pitches with a broken leg. Ladies and gentlemen, he struck out a guy with a broken leg. He struck out a guy who is an all-star, a guy who is the the leader of that team. In Jose Altuve struck him out despite the fact he had a broken leg. Charlie Morton is going to be 38 years old next month. He is now a member uh, or he is now part of the folklore of not just the Atlanta Braves, but of baseball in general. The, you bre- you get your leg broken on a comebacker and then you still throw 16 more pitches and strike somebody out until it's gotten so painful and it's swollen up so much that you got to leave the game. Talk about having a pair of onions. Oh, my goodness. Jesus, I get a hangnail and I'm ready to, you know, go, go to the hospital. Uh, So, just... I mean, you can't say enough about that, really. And Charlie Morton went to high school here in the state of Connecticut. He went to Joel Barlow High School in Redding. He's from New Jersey, but his family moved up here, and he went to high school at Joel Barlow in, uh, in Redding and signed with the Braves in the offseason because he wanted to pitch closer to his house. He lives in Bradenton, Florida, so he wanted to be closer to his home, and uh, they've already re-signed him for next year. He signed a one-year deal, and now they've re-upped him for next year uh, and, you know, the 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 fracture. leg, like, he's going to be fine. He'll be ready for spring training. Uh, it's not, you know, I mean, it's terrible, and he's going to be out for the rest of the, the World Series, and you feel bad for him. But at the same time, I mean, you know, people talk about how tough football players are, right, and hockey players and, you know, how they can play with all these injuries and, and all this pain. I don't want, well, uh, Charlie Morton just pitched on a broken leg. That's all you got to say. So uh, amazing game, it really was. Um, simply because of that, and the the other first that we saw last night, uh, Jorge Soler when he homered, and Adam Duvall when he homered, they became the first teammates that were acquired in the middle of the season to homer in the same World Series game. I mean, it's kind of a bizarre thing, but you know. And you think about this, you know, this Braves team has had to deal with a lot of adversity this year, a lot of injuries. The biggest injury, of course, was to their their star outfielder Ronald Acuna Jr. Who tore a knee, a knee ligament in July. And because of that, Alex Anthopoulos, the president of baseball operations, had to start wheeling and dealing and, and fill in some holes. So what did he do? He traded for Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, and Jorge Soler. Every one of those guys in the postseason has been Nails. Solaire last night, Duvall last night. Eddie Rosario was the MVP of the NLCS, and Jack Peterson, another guy that is, uh, you know, had had a couple of home runs in the playoffs, and a guy that has a flair for the dramatic. So you know, and and on top of losing Ronald Acuna Jr. before the season, they ended up losing uh, Mike Soroka, who re tore his Achilles tendon. I mean, this team, this is an improbable run. When you look, the Atlanta Braves were under 500 for a good part of the season. It was a late push that got them into the playoffs to begin with. Nobody thought they were getting here. Nobody. It was going to be the Dodgers or the Giants, maybe the Milwaukee Brewers. Nobody thought the Braves were going to go this far with all the adversity that they had suffered. And now they lead this World Series one game to none. Uh, so much fun last night, you know. And again, I hope they sweep the Astros. They won't, but I hope they do. Uh, Max Freed is going to get the start uh, in Game Two tonight. Uh, he is one and one with a three seven eight ERA in uh, three starts this postseason. He'll go up against Jose Urquidy. Uh, now, he, Jose Urquidy's got some World Series experience. If you remember back uh, two years ago, he pitched five scoreless innings in Game 4 of the World Series against the Washington Nationals. Now, he only made one start in the postseason this year, and he got lit up by the Red Sox. He gave up six runs in an inning and two-thirds in Game 3 of the ALCS to the Red Sox. But he will get the start against Max Fried tonight. And look, if you are the Astros, this is you know when it's a, when it's a best of seven and you got to win four. Nothing is a must win in Game Two. But if you're the Astros, knowing that your next three games are in Atlanta, you damn sure don't want to go down there, down 2-0. Max Freed, who has been great for Atlanta this year, is going to get the start. And, you know, and you look at this, you know, it's going to, if you're Atlanta, with Charlie Morton now being unavailable, obviously you now want to get this series over as quickly as possible because now you don't have Morton to come back for a game five or a game six. You know, it's going to get a little dicier for the Atlanta Braves pitching staff as we get deeper into this. You know, now they'll have Ian Anderson lined up for game three. And, uh, you know, then, you know, we'll see. It's going to be it's going to depend if it's a 3-0 uh, lead at that point. They're playing with house money. But if Houston comes back and wins this game tonight behind Urquidy, uh it's going to it's going to be interesting. And, and we'll see how bad that loss of Charlie Morton hurts them. Uh, by the way, you know, one of the um this was the first time we've had a World Series in front of a packed house in a long time. Don't forget, uh, you know, we had the COVID thing going on last year, right? So we were finally able to see a packed house. Of course, if you're Houston, it wasn't quite the way you wanted it. You know, with that home run in the first inning, the crowd got taken out of it very, very quickly. Uh, the other thing is, is No team has won a World Series game in its home park since uh, uh, 2018. The last time a team won a game in their home park was when the Dodgers beat the Red Sox in 18 innings back in 2018. The visiting team won every game in the 2019 World Series, and then last year's World Series was played at a, a neutral site. And it's continued this year now with Houston losing a game in their home park. So it's been a while since home fans have had anything to cheer about Uh, in the World Series. But uh, as I said, game two coming up tonight, 8 o'clock on Fox. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, you know, you you can say it's petty, I guess, but I'm just not going to get past what happened with the Houston Astros. I just can't. I just can't. So, anyway, that's where we're at as far as that goes. Uh, Prior to the game, uh, Rob Manfred gave out an award to uh, Shohei Otani. And I look, I've been one of these guys that thinks that we're making too much of what goes on with Shohei Otani. Yes, what he did is you know I, I I'm not trying to tell you that that ho, that Shohei Otani is not a great player. Okay, let's let's start with that. I'm not trying to tell you that uh, you know, it's it's ho hum. People don't do what he did, not since Babe Ruth. And even then, with Babe Ruth, yes, he both pitched and hit, but he did not do that on a regular basis the way Shohei Otani did. By the time uh, the Babe became a great hitter, he had given up pitching. And what Otani did this year, look, you know, he had 46 home runs and 100 runs batted in, along with 26 steals this year. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And then he made 23 starts on the mound, 9-2, 3-1-8 ERA. Um, you know, he didn't hit for a high average, but still, this is a guy that literally played every day and took the ball uh, to start 23 times after having Tommy John surgery. So uh, he was given the uh, uh, the Commissioner's Historic Achievement Award uh, by Rob Manfred. By the way, it's the first time that Rob Manfred's ever given this award out. It was re- created by Bud Seelig uh, back in 98 to commemorate Cal Ripken Jr.'s uh, consecutive game streak when he played 2,632 games in a row. Uh, The last time it was presented was all the way back in 2014 uh, when Bud Sealy gave it to Vince Scully uh, for his 65 years as a broadcaster for the Dodgers and uh, to Derek Jeter uh, for his postseason records for hits, runs, and total bases. So it's not something that's given out very often. Otani was great. I mean, he was very humble. Uh, He even said... uh, He said, I know it's not given out every year, so I know how special it is. He says, I'm not fully sure if I really deserve it. But he said, but since Mr. Manfred's going to give it to me, I'm going to accept it. Look, um, do I think that Shohei Otani was the most valuable player in the American League? No. I think he's going to win the award, but I don't think he should. Uh, You know, and we've had this conversation on this show and some other podcasts and stuff that I've been on for some other people. I don't think... He was the most valuable player simply because his team didn't make playoffs. You know, and yes, he did hit. Yes, he did pitch. But, you know, there were much better hitters and better pitchers than him. He just did happen to do both, and he did them at a pretty decent level. So, anyway, that's where, you know, that's where we're at as far as that goes. I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but – uh uh, you know, it was special. There's no question. So, I mean, I think the award that he's getting here is deserved. I don't think the most valuable player award will be deserved, but I think he's probably going to win it anyway. Um, The other thing, uh, when Rob Manfred met with the uh, press yesterday, uh, he remains optimistic. He says about getting a labor deal done. Um, I am less optimistic about that. You know, uh, you know and, and he said, "Well, you know it kind, it's kind of hard to uh, uh, to characterize progress. Progress is when you go into a room and you're having conversations, and people are continuing to talk. Well, I guess, but you know, uh, part of the problem is is that the, the only way we get news is if it's leaked by Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, but I think that we are a month away from baseball shutting down. We'll have no free agent news. We'll have no nothing. We may not have any spring training if this doesn't get done. But I think there is a chasm between the two sides, between the Major League Baseball Players Association and the owners. I don't think that it's close. This is like Evel Knievel in the old days, trying to you know, uh, you know, ride a uh, a rocket car over the Grand Canyon. I don't think that we have a snowball's chance in hell of this thing. Uh, coming to an agreement anytime soon, you know, and I fear that it might go into the season. And And as I said yesterday on yesterday's show, I believe this is just a product of uh, part of It's kind of a, a symptom of where we are in this country, where there's such a huge divide about everything. We can't get anybody to agree on anything. You know, uh, I mean, it's crazy. We can't get anybody to, to agree on the color of the sky, the color of the grass, whatever. Um, and, and, you know, when you're, when you're talking about dividing up the billions and billions of dollars that Major League Baseball generates, we know what, we know what money can do. We can see it in a family. Money can tear a family apart. Well, money is in the process of tearing Major League Baseball apart. So, you know, I hope they can find a way, but I, I, I am, I am pessimistic about it, unfortunately. Uh, one other quick baseball note before we take a break. um. Major League Baseball uh, yesterday announced that uh, they had experimented with a pitch clock in the low-A West League during the year. 316 nine-inning games using a pitch clock. And a pitch clock, what does that mean? It means that you have a a certain amount of time between the pitches that you throw. So a pitcher can't just, you know, a pitcher and batter can't just stand there and you know, play with themselves and adjust their uniform and, you know, check the weather and, you know, to see if the barometer is right for me to throw this next pitch, as we see all the time. Well, 316, 90 games with a pitch clock averaged 2 hours and 41 minutes. That's down from 3 hours and 2 minutes for the 91 games without a clock. So they shaved off about 20 minutes a game simply by using a pitch clock. Pitch clock was set at 15 seconds with the bases empty, 17 seconds with the runners on base, uh, 30 seconds between batters, and two, hour, uh, 2 minutes and 15 seconds between half innings and for pitching changes. So it wasn't just a pitch clock. It was uh, between batters, and it was for, you know, between innings and as well as pitching changes. And it worked. And if we can get that so that we can get games into the 240 range, And if that's the average, you know, you're still going to have a few that are over. But you're going to have some that, you know, maybe go two hours and ten minutes. That's going to be awesome. You know, you no longer have to sit and, you know, I mean, look, these World Series games are going to take four hours. You know, we're we're kind of used to that for the postseason. But when you start having regular season games that are routinely going 315, 330, 345, it's too much. So I'm very encouraged by that. And I hope that's one of the, you know, of all the things that Major League Baseball has tinkered with. That's the one I've really hoped that they will, uh, they'll implement. They got to, they got to protect the game against itself. These players are so into styling and now and hot dogging and everything else. We have got to do something to speed this game up, you know, because otherwise we're we're just you know we're in danger of people tuning out. You're just not going to continue. You know, the, the major league baseball average this year was three hours and ten minutes this season. It's the highest it's ever been. It's going in the wrong direction, despite the fact, by the way, they did this thing for a limiting number of visits to the mound. Now if you change a pitcher, he has to throw to three batters. You know, they've tried to do some things to speed it up. Yeah, all it did was slow things down. So that didn't work. So I hope they do something with a pitch clock. It would be a beautiful thing. It is 33 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 35 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on Sports Country. Dave Massey checked in on Facebook and he said, you know, if we do have, uh, you know, a strike or lockout, you know, maybe we'll have a minor league summer. You know, if you, you know, I hope uh, that we don't have a lockout, but, you know, there's no question that it wouldn't necessarily be bad. I love going to minor league games. I really do. Um it's it's much more intimate. It's kind of like you know the old days going to a you know a college game or a high school game. Well, it's a little bit more than that, but still, it's affordable. You know, tickets don't cost you seventy five or a hundred bucks. Concessions don't you know it doesn't cost you twelve dollars for a for you know something to drink and a, and a, or a hot dog. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's much more affordable and it's fun. You know, it really is. I mean. Uh, um, you know, we've got a couple of minor league teams here in the state of Connecticut. I used to go to Pawtucket Red Sox games. Um, I, you know, I, so I've I've been a minor league guy for a long, long time. Uh, matter of fact, I made a couple of trips across the country, and what I would what I did when I made the trips is I would plan stops in certain cities so that I could take in a game, uh, you know, at, at different places and, and see some different ballparks and see some different affiliates. It was fun. Having said that, I'd much rather uh, us have a major league baseball season. But Dave makes a good point. I mean, there's kind of a silver lining, I guess, if you look at it that way. Uh, and, and you know, and and with some of the things that they're doing, you know, like uh, the minor leagues all have a pitch clock. The games aren't going to take as long. There's there's another <laughs> there's another uh, another silver lining. So you know, we'll see. I mean, I I hope they figure it out, but I I do think. I do think it's likely – I think we'll have a season. I don't think we're going to lose the season. But I do think there is a strong possibility that spring training does not start on time and that maybe we lose the first month of the season. wouldn't surprise me because sometimes people don't get really serious until it starts hitting them in the wallet, you know, and when, uh, you know, ballparks aren't full and, you know, when, when there's no revenue coming in from – uh from tickets and concessions and parking and players aren't getting paychecks and everything, all of a sudden things start to get real, you know, and you can say, well, you know, these guys are millionaires. It won't matter to them. Part, you know, there is a piece of that, you know, however, the other piece of it is the guys that are making the major league minimum. Yeah. It's still way more than I make. It's, you know, 600 grand, but, you know, you get to a point where when you live that kind of lifestyle, you you live a lifestyle based on how much you make. I mean, somebody that makes $200,000 a year is living differently than somebody who makes $25,000 a year. So you have a lifestyle you become accustomed to. Well, now all of a sudden the paycheck's not there. You might have to change your lifestyle. That makes you uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden people start saying, well, you know, maybe we ought to figure out a way to make this work. So we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, a minor league summer. Uh, wouldn't be the most uh, awful thing in the world, um, you know. And the question I've been looking at, uh, thinking about the Red Sox, you know, the, the big press conference on Monday after the season was over, and Heim Bloom and Alex Cora and all the higher ups sit down and you know, kind of uh, do a post mortem on the season. And everybody's the consensus is this is just the start. You know, we're we're kind of ahead of schedule, and this is uh, you know, this is the start of something big. Well, you know, I hope so. I mean, as a Red Sox fan, you certainly hope so. But, you know, you look at this team, and I still think that there are some big decisions that have to be made, and and, and I don't think they're going to be easy ones. You know, one of the big ones is, is do the Red Sox extend a qualifying offer to Eduardo Rodriguez? You know, uh, he was, you know, okay. You know, but his ERA this year was four and a half. Now, the Red Sox will tell you that he pitched better than that. And there were times that I saw him pitch better than that, but there were times I saw him stink. You know, he's not the same guy. Some of it may be the, uh, you know, he missed that entire year because of the myocarditis and the COVID. Maybe after, you know, uh, this season and a regular offseason, maybe he's going to be a different pitcher next year. The Red Sox maybe are going to bank on that. But it means a qualifying offer is like around 18 million bucks. And the reason to, why will they do that? Because if they extend the qualifying offer and he decides not to sign with them, they'll get a uh, they'll get draft pick comp- compensation if he signs with somebody else. Um, a lot of people think that he'll stay regardless because he and Alex Rodriguez are so close. You know, I don't know that that can be underestimated. But even if they Decide to give the qualifying offer, then you, you look at it and you go, Okay, so what does that mean? So, if he's with us, the rotation is sale, Ivaldi, Rodriguez, Pavetta, and then who? Is it going to be Tanner Hauck? You know, I still have questions about whether Tana, Tanner Hauck has enough to be a starter. I mean, I, I just, you know, that slider right now, too inconsistent for me. I'd I, frankly, if it were me, I'd rather t- see them take Garrett Whitlock and start extending him in spring training and make Garrett Whitlock the fifth starter. I saw somebody I don't know if it was I don't know if it was uh, Pete Abraham or who it was um, but uh, mentioned about uh, uh, Garrett Richards being a possibility. Good Lord, I hope not. I don't want Garrett Richards anywhere on this team. Martin Perez is a free agent, too. Shoot them both to the moon, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I don't think their options down in the minors are very good right yet. They still have Connor Seabold down there. You know, we only saw him once up in uh, Boston. That didn't go well. Uh, You know, but they don't have a lot of guys in the minors that are ready to step up yet. So it's really going to be Tanner Houck or Garrett Whitlock, I think, for that fifth spot. And if they don't sign Rodriguez, they might both have to be in the rotation. Or do the Red Sox go out and start looking at, free agent opportunities. I don't know what that would look like. But uh, so to me, you know, and you think Chris Sale is going to be more like the old Chris Sale, so you, you know, I, I don't think the rotation's horrible, but what I think is horrible, and this is where I don't, the Red Sox need to spend money in that bullpen. I'm sorry, folks, but uh, you know, I, I hope they can fit fix Mac Barnes. But uh, when you're looking at some of these other guys, Ryan Brazier, okay, he's fine. Josh Taylor's fine. Darwin's in Hernandez. I'm done with him. You know, I don't want to hear about stuff. I don't want to hear about the fact that he can throw 100 miles an hour. He can't throw strikes. I'm done with him. Uh, Salamora's coming back. Eh, you know, d- t- again, another guy, wildly inconsistent. Phillips Valdez. You know, uh, Austin Davis. Uh, no. I mean, these guys are not viable options in my mind. It's part of the reason why the Red Sox were out of the World out of the playoffs. Adam Ottavino is a free agent. Don't re-sign him. I'm sorry. He again, talk about inconsistent. Hansel Robles, free agent. Again, there's a reason to Hansel Robles was available. <laughs> you know, and the Red Sox found that out. Yeah, he can be good at times. He can throw 98, but he's also a guy that can give it up in a heartbeat. The Red Sox don't have options down in 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 the minors in the bullpen, you know, and whether it's Tanner Houck or whether it's Garrett Whitlock, maybe one of those guys stays in the bullpen. I mean, Whitlock was extremely valuable there. So the question they have to decide is, is Whitlock more valuable in the bullpen or is he more valuable as a starter? Uh, Christian Vasquez is going to come back as the catcher. hes They've got a team option. Uh, you know, uh, he's fine. Uh, you know, I think he's way overrated, to be honest with you. He had that one year where he hit all the home runs. I don't even care about that. I think he's overrated as a pitch caller. I think he's overrated as a defensive catcher. The problem is, is that there are so few good catchers in major league baseball that there isn't going to be a better option out there. They've got a couple of guys, a couple of prospects when Ronaldo Hernandez and Connor Wong, neither one of those guys are ready yet. Uh, Especially, you know, offensively. So, uh, but Christian Vasquez will be back, and they'll bring Ploiecki back, and, you know, that's fine. We can live with that. Uh, the infield is is where things get tricky. This, to me, it's the trickiest because what do you do at first base? Is Bobby Dahlbeck your guy? You've got Tristan Cassis, who's everybody says is, you know, uh, going to be a superstar. They think he's ready to, to come up next year. Maybe not the start of the year, but my, by mid-year. You've got... Dahlbeck, who was great second half of the season, stunk the first half. So who's the real who's the real guy? You have Kyle Schwarber. Do you re-sign him? Knowing that J.D. Martinez is going to be your DH unless he opts out, which is unlikely. Nobody's going to pay J.D. Martinez $20 million next year. He had a great year, but he's not making, not at his age, he's not making $20 bucks. I don't think he's going to opt out. I mean, he could try and see if he can get a longer-term deal for maybe even a little less money. So maybe he will, but I doubt it. Now, if he does, it makes it easy. Then you resign Schwarber in a heartbeat. But you've got Devers and Bogarts on the left side. You know, second base is a question to me. uh, You know, uh, maybe Christian Christian Arroyo is your guy. Maybe they look at resigning Jose Iglesias. He was great down the stretch. They couldn't use him in the playoffs because they signed him too late. But he was great at second base down the stretch. You know the problem because you know the thing with Arroyo, he was great at times, but he couldn't stay on the field. He was hurt all the time. So, to me, Jose Iglesias is a guy they may want to look at, and he was great for the team during the playoffs. He, he stayed a part of the team, and he was, you know, uh, really, uh, uh, you know, he's a bit of a difficult personality at times. He's mercurial, but uh, I that might be a guy they want to look at keeping. Um, but first base is the real issue. Is it going to be Dahlbeck? Is it going to be Schwarber? Or are they going to, uh, you know, and is it going to be, you know, Dahlbeck and then wait for Cassis to come up, or is it going to be signed Schwarber to a longer term deal, knowing that JD's probably gone after next year and you can still play him in the outfield? I mean, but that's to me right now, the, the infield is the biggest question mark for the Red Sox. The outfield's going to be fine. You've got, I think you leave Kike in center, you leave Hunter Renfro in right, you leave Alex uh, Verdugo in left. Jaron Duran becomes your, uh, your fourth outfielder, you know, with a full spring training and, uh, uh, he had some big league experience. He's still got a lot of work to do, but I think this is a guy that can become your fourth outfielder because he's also a great runner off the bench, I think he's I think that's what they're gonna do. So I, I think so I think Kyle Schwarber may be the odd man out here. The other option the Red Sox have, and nobody's talked a lot about this, but what if they were to re sign Schwarber and then trade J D Martinez? You know, I I I believe, I don't believe that he can veto the trade. And with this being the last year of his deal, the Red Sox could certainly think about trading J.D. Martinez during the year to get some pitching back or some other hole that they need to fill. And now you've got Kyle Schwarber that you can plug into that DH hole and still play him at first base every now and then if you need to. To me, that might be the way to go. You know, Schwarber has certainly fit right in in Boston. So I would not be at all sad to see them re-sign him. But they've got to make a decision uh, on J.D. Martinez. And and this is nothing against J.D. Martinez. He had a great bounce back year. Uh, I'm a fan of his uh, as far offensively. Defensively, he's a butcher most of the time. But uh, by and large, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing him come back for this year. But I would mi- I would also love to see Kyle Schwarber come back and then maybe trade J.D. or, you know, or dangle him out there. Or, or Schwarber, I guess, if you wanted to. Uh, figuring that Cassis is going to come up but it gives the Red Sox uh, a trade chip during the season if they if they need it it's 48 minutes past the hour we're going to take another break back in a minute you're listening to the wake-up call on sports country it's 50 minutes past the hour welcome back to the wake-up call a few minutes left uh Paige Beckers, the superstar sophomore for the University of Connecticut, who was, of course, the uh, Associated Press Player of the Year last year, uh, the only freshman, along with Maya Moore and Courtney Paris, to ever uh, as the only freshman to ever be named to the AP First Team All-American uh, team, was named uh, unanimously to the preseason AP All-American poll to the surprise of absolutely no one. Uh, she was named along with Aliyah Boston of South Carolina, Baylor's, uh, Melissa Smith, uh, Caitlin Clark from Iowa and, uh, Ryan Howard from Kentucky. Um, you know, with the exception of Caitlin Clark, uh, who was on the second team, that group is all, we're all on the first team, uh, at the end of last year. Beckers, of course, 20 points a game, 5.8 assists, 4.9 rebounds a game last year. And, uh, uh, that despite playing on a bum ankle for a while that she uh, rolled and uh, but still managed to put up some great numbers. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Kristen Williams, the senior and freshman, uh, Azzy Fudd, uh, were both named to the preseason watch list for the Ann Myers Drysdale Award, which is given to the nation's best shooting guard. Uh, Fudd was the only freshman uh, on the list of 20 players. Uh, you know, UConn is... Uh, they're going to be great. I mean, they have the best recruiting class in the country. They're loaded. I mean, they got players that are, you know, the 10th man on the team that could start for a lot of other teams around the country. But you can have all the talent in the world. If you can't finish, uh, you know, it doesn't mean anything, especially here in Connecticut. People in Connecticut expect that team to win. Uh, so, uh, you know, after all of this, you know, Gino's under a lot of pressure. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's win or bust uh, here in UConn territory. Uh, Other Connecticut news, Uh, the Travelers Championship, the golf tournament that uh, the PGA Tour stop in Cromwell, uh, announced yesterday that uh, they raised $2.2 million for charity uh, from the event that happened here at the end of June. $2.2 million. Uh, And that's despite the fact, by the way, that the crowds were down uh, because of the COVID restrictions. They didn't have full capacity. Uh, but they still raised uh, two million. So they have raised, since two thousand and seven, the Travelers Championship has raised twenty two and a half million dollars, uh, that have benefited eight hundred not for profit organizations here in the state of Connecticut. It's amazing. Uh, the two point two million dollars this year will be distributed to one hundred and seventy five different charities. the The bulk of that money will be going to the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp in Ashford. Uh, which is rebuilding after a fire. Of course, the Hole in the Wall Gang uh, uh, camp was started uh, by uh, the late actor Paul Newman, and uh, they had that horrific fire this year that uh, destroyed a good part of the camp. So uh, uh, the Travels Championship is going to help rebuild it. So it's just awesome. I mean, in the past, uh, they've drawn as many as 300,000 people for that tournament. Now, attendance was limited to just 10,000 last year a day. Uh, And it was a great tournament too. If you remember, Harris English won it. It was an eight-hole playoff with uh, Kramer Hickok. It was pretty cool. Um, But uh, and and 2020 they did it without fans. They still raised 1.6 million dollars without fans in uh, 2020. I mean, uh, yeah, in 2020. So uh, 2021, 2.2 million dollars. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Uh, Carly Lloyd played her final game for the U.S. Women's National Team last night. She didn't score. Uh, The U.S. women's team won the game 6-0 over South Korea. Uh, But uh, she is 39 years old. It was her 316th match with the national team, the second most international appearances of any player, 134 goals for the U.S. over that time period, the third most in team history. Uh, She also had uh, 61 assists. She was subbed out in the 65th minute. Uh, left to a standing ovation. The game was played in St. Paul, Minnesota. What was cool, too, is uh, uh, as she came off the field, she took off her jersey and uh, uh, gave it uh, to Lindsay Horan, who was going to wear that number starting in or the number 10 starting in uh, 2022. But underneath her jersey, she had another jersey with the last name Hollins on it, which is, of course, the name of her husband. And she said, look, I've been Mrs. Hollins for years, but – it hasn't said that on my jersey. It's It stayed with Lloyd on her jersey, so she ripped one off and it had her husband's name on the back of the jersey. It was kind of cool, uh, but uh, a hell of a career for Carly Lloyd, uh, and, uh, and the team sends her off with a victory 6-0 uh, over South Korea. A couple other quick notes. The Seattle Kraken, the uh, expansion team in the NHL, won its first home game uh, last night. They beat the Montreal Canadiens 5-1. We have to remember it's the Montreal Canadiens who are just awful uh, the Canadians have just two points in their first six games. They've been outscored 24 to 11. But still, if you're Seattle, uh, second win of the season for them. Uh, Brandon Tanov with a couple of goals. He's already got five goals in seven games this year for them. Uh, Jordan Eberle had a goal as well. And uh, Philip Grubauer, 23 saves uh, in probably the best game of the year uh, for Seattle. And uh, Kemba Walker. Had his best game with his new team, the New York Knicks. Of course, he's from the New York area, so it's kind of his hometown team. But uh, 19 points last night, and the New York Knicks beat the Philadelphia 76ers, 112-99. to It is the first time the Knicks have beaten the Sixers in 15 games. They were 0- for their last 15 against Philly uh, before the win last night. So uh, Kemba with 19, Evan Fournier with 18. Uh, the last time they beat the 76ers, April 12th. 2017 so it's been a while that's going to do it for us here this morning no show tomorrow we will be back on friday but no show tomorrow i've got some things got to take care of here with the uh, the house sale etc uh so we'll be back on friday uh, hope you have a great day stay safe out there in the uh, wind and the rain here in the northeast we leave you with some music from the zach brown band it's called same boat see you on friday you've been listening to the wake-up call on sports country